0: This week, perhaps more than most, it's really important for us to remember and to grasp the meaning of last week's scripture before we dive too deeply into today's reading. Last week, if you don't remember or you weren't here, we heard instructions to conduct ourselves honorably as we live lives as exiles of God's kingdom in this world. To not use the freedom that we know as a pretext for evil, or what our world will see as evil. To accept the authority of every human institution. To even honor the emperor. Then we heard instructions to slaves, which was very uncommon. It was unheard of at that time, to give instructions in a moral code to slaves. And the instructions were that they should also accept the authority of their masters, even harsh masters, that in their experience of unjust suffering, they are like Christ who suffered unjustly. And they should hope that just like Christ, God might use their suffering to reveal his glory to still others, perhaps even to their masters, wicked though they may be. These are difficult ideas for us to stomach in our world where we, sit, where we have a say in our government and we still very much bemoan and despise the authority they hold over us, especially if it's not the party or the candidate who we favored. And in our world where slavery is openly repudiated and none of us, I pray, call another master, But we must remember that these words were not the words of the powerful seeking to repress those beneath them and to hold on to their own authority. Rather, as the New Testament scholar, the Reverend Dr. Shively T.J. Smith says, first Peter strategized for the survival for a scattered population facing real threats of verbal attack, physical harm and the looming chance of genocide. It was from the underclass, for the underclass, not the overlord. So how are these instructions from the underclass, for the underclass? Well, it's because they ensure survival. Not only physical survival, but also survival of the faith itself. And in fact, they defiantly dream of a flourishing and even growing faith community despite the ongoing threat of extinction. So it is a subversive text, as we talked about last week. It says that the types of things our society might expect should be said. It says those things plainly, so that the Roman world would take no issue with this letter if they ever heard it being read to an enslaved Christian or spoken openly in a temple court. But coded within all of these instructions we have heard were the basic building blocks for a radically different view of the world. One where the emperor is not feared as God, but rather is honored as all people should be honored. And where slaves are in fact more mindful of God than they are of their human masters, and they seek to emulate the person of Christ even in their service. Christians should appear, broadly speaking, to be good Roman citizens, and their religious differences perhaps could be overlooked. Or even they could be the cause of reflection in others around them who might be very interested in following this strange new God who produces such honor and strength of character within his followers. And this is where we stopped last week, That's where we stopped last week. That's also where the ancient scribes decided the chapter should conclude. And that was quite handy, actually, because it was all I could fit in a single sermon last week. But this week is really kind of part two of that sermon. Because Peter didn't stop with general instructions to Christians living in a non-Christian society, and then particular instructions to those who were enslaved, and then just call it a day. Rather, he continued, and still today, there are so many things I wish I could say about this passage that I'll not have the chance to, so it's really high level. But he continues by writing wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This is another hard text, but this first line is precisely why we had to recap what we know so far. Because Peter is not only saying, wives, submit to your husbands. We must hear it again. He writes, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This instruction is not a carte blanche command for women to obey their husbands, but it is contextualized by all those previous verses. The same kind of submission that Christians have within an empire, the same kind of honor enslaved Christians offer to their non Christian masters. This is the kind of submission that Peter commends to Christian wives of non Christian husbands. It was commonly held by Greek philosophers that what happened in the home also happened in society that homes which adhered to good social order also ensured the flourishing of the nation itself, and that homes which found themselves in chaos, where disobedience reigned or an unruly spirit was present, these places led to instability, even anarchy on the larger stage of the state. Once again, the instruction for wives to submit to their husbands may be quite expected for the time when it was written but in truth it is a direction given with the hope of self-preservation and of effective evangelism in mind if a woman were to become a christian that alone would be a grave concern to a husband who would have expected his wife in his culture to worship his own household gods to share his religion The Greek moralist Plutarch highlights the danger of cults unraveling the family unit as he writes, A wife ought not to make friends on her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. This is the context of the time. This is the water that everybody was swimming in. So Plutarch continues, The gods are the first and most important friends. Wherefore, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the front door tight upon all strange rituals and outlandish superstitions. For with no God do stealthy and secret rites performed by a woman find any favor. Simply being a Christian was likely to cause great marital stress and marital stress was a sign to the world of possible cultural threat and danger. The empire may feel threatened by what happens within your households, Peter reminds these Christian women. So be careful, be careful to behave in such a way that the fact that you do not worship the same gods is never such a bother. Because in every other way, you meet or exceed the expectations of your spouse and the expectations of this place where you are now an exile. It's important for us to note that there is no mention of abuse here. Peter does not tell a mistreated woman to stay with her husband. Unlike slaves who had little choice but to run away illegally or to purchase their freedom, in Roman law, a woman could seek divorce for such treatment. The danger is not seen to be the husband's temper. Rather, the danger is seen to be the Christian faith itself. A husband who is bitter about religion could identify his wife as a Christian to authorities who could quickly find a suitable charge to hold against her. All the more reason to behave in a way that is seen as upright in every other arena, to pass muster with the culture, to meet the expectations of one's relationships. Now, I've said a lot about wives and husbands But I want you to think about today's text as not just about wives and husbands, not just about marriage, because that's not really the thing Peter's talking about here. He's not really talking about the way marriages ought to function in God's kingdom. But he's actually talking about a very particular and specific kind of relationship and the power dynamics that are associated with that relationship within the ancient world within this place where these Christians are now foreigners and exiles, how are they to live and survive in this very different kind of place? And so I invite you to imagine with me the ways that these same instructions may apply to the relationships of power and vulnerability which exist in our day as well. Because already we have seen how Peter again and again encourages those who are weak, who are vulnerable, to save their strength for the thing that really matters, to save their strength for their devotion to Jesus Christ before all else. He suggests that there will be times when for love of the church or for fear of God, one must disobey the emperor. So we should honor the emperor, if at all we can, in order to save our strength and courage for that day. Likewise, there will be times when a Christian slave must disobey a non-Christian master because the law of Christ constrains them. So in every other way, they ought to respect their master's authority. So, too, in this context, in this day, there would be times when a Christian wife may be seen to be trouble in her home and perhaps even trouble in her society because of the cause of the gospel. So how important it is to mitigate that risk at every turn, to acquiesce to the demands and expectations of the culture so that the most crucial thing, one's faith, might continue to flourish even against adversity. And in so doing might also impact husbands who watch, masters who are perplexed and, whole, and the whole pagan world that marvels at the honor the gospel of Jesus affords to even the very least. I know we don't like the term submission. We don't like the term term submission one bit. But the simple truth of the matter is that we must all submit to something. So Peter's suggestion seems to be that we should be intentional in what we choose to submit to. Ultimately, we will all submit to Christ and be his slaves, or we will find ourselves in the fetters of sin and decay. But far more practically, day to day, we must also choose to what will we submit ourselves? What can we abide for the time being? And what must be opposed for the sake of justice and righteousness? This is the position of these early Christians because their lives depended on it. But it also remains our position today because our well-being continues to depend on it. We may not be executed because we chose the wrong things to resist in our present day. But we may in fact lose a job and our ability to provide for our families. Or we may lose the respect of our neighbors and our ability to witness effectively to the gospel of Christ. Or we may in vain try to resist so much, submit to nothing in this world that does not perfectly align with the reign and rule of Christ that it will be too much for us to bear. Eventually, we will all submit to something, even if it is our own frailty. And if we must submit to something, how much better it is to choose to submit to Christ and to submit only to Christ. Then, if we must submit to a government, to see that submission as to Christ's rule and reign, and to resist only those things which pull us far from our faith. And if we must submit to unjust suffering, to do so with the promise of Christ's resurrection in our hearts. And indeed, if we must submit to the desires and dreams of those with whom we have formed relationships, whether that be a spouse or friend, family or neighbor to do so resolute that we are practicing, we are rehearsing, submitting our will to Christ's will, rehearsing the very core of our faith itself. So if those same relationships ever jeopardize our faith, we will have built by our submission such trust and goodwill that we may yet persevere. But as you heard in the verse that I made sure was read today, It is not only wives who are told to act in the same way as slaves and as subjects of the empire, but husbands are as well. Husbands are commanded to be the same kind of considerate with their wives, to do this in the same way. All of this is in the same way that Peter has been talking about for more than a chapter now. Husbands are commanded to be that same kind of considerate. Christian husbands, then, are being told that they cannot behave how their Roman and Greek counterparts might behave, that they are required to be considerate, even to submit to the will of their wives, even as their wives willingly submit to them. This image of mutual submission is an image we see within God's self, As the Son submits to the will of the Father, and the Spirit obeys the sending of the Son, and the Father gives freely to the Son. This relationship is what all Christian relationships, Christian friendships, marriages, every kind of relationship is to emulate, as this is the intended purpose of our lives to enjoy that self-giving love of God to become a part of that mutually submitting dance of the trinity in fact christian husbands are reminded that their christian wives are co-heirs of the kingdom with them equals before god yes paul does say that they should be respected as the weaker partner literally this means weaker vessel and we might be concerned about whether that makes this whole text misogynistic. I think that he may have just been talking about the average physical difference in strength between men and women, but more likely, in fact, he's talking about the vulnerability that women experienced in their culture, that culturally they were more fragile, more at risk, more under threat at all times. This kind of vulnerability women continue to experience in many ways even to this day. And so Peter is reminding husbands of their responsibility to be mindful of that difference in position which exists in the broader society. The way that their culture did not treat them equally despite their equality before Christ and reminding him to ensure that he did so. This advice is not only for husbands, but it is for all of us who have some form of power, some form of privilege which is not present in God's kingdom. Those of us who find privilege offered to us by our culture's denigration of others who are not like us. We too are reminded to respect those who find themselves in weaker positions than we are to remember the way that they face challenges that we do not know. And most of all, to recall that before Christ, they are our equals, whether or not Rome or Canada will ever see them that way. So why? Why does Peter tell husbands to be gracious with their wives? Expanding the question for all of us, why should those Christians who have power or privilege in this world be especially tender-hearted and humble toward those who may have less? Peter gives the answer, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. It is a common theme throughout the scriptures that God refuses to hear the prayers of the wicked. In fact, the psalmist says that God turns his face against them. The powerful, too, will submit to something. It may not feel like it today. It may not feel like it any day. But eventually, even the powerful must submit. They, too, will choose to submit to their weaker brothers and sisters, whether that be a spouse or another person in the church who is less well-regarded in the world than they may be, or if they will not submit in this way, they will ultimately submit to the Lord's judgment. Because Peter says it is wickedness that a Christian husband should not be gracious to his wife. And we too know that it is wickedness that Christians with power and authority should not use it to be kind to their weaker brothers and sisters. This is a hard word for me to hear as a husband, and I'm sure it's a hard word for all of us to hear, that it is wickedness if we are not gracious to those who are less privileged than we are. But in this, the Christian husband is being told that he cannot choose to submit to the cultural trend of insisting on submission, but must be willing to submit himself. And so it is for all in the church who know power that the call of Christ calls us to resist the temptation to insist on the recognition of our own authority for our own sake and to humbly prefer the well-being of those who cannot ensure their own well-being. There's no question that this text was originally written to wives and to husbands, And if you're married or you're thinking about marriage, I hope that this is a good reminder for you about the importance of holding your spouse in honor. But this is also written in the context of a book which is about how to survive in a cultural reality that expects conformity to a certain way of being. And if this were written in a different cultural context, the advice would also have been different in some regards, to insist on an appropriate way of conforming to that other pattern for Christians as well. Ultimately, the concern is about how do all of our relationships seem to honor those around us, seem to be honorable to non-Christians, seem to be revealing of virtues which they can understand while at the same time remaining honoring to God, whose very nature is that self-giving love. This is a question for all of us, regardless of our marital status. This is for those who are widowed or divorced, those who are single and dating, or single and hoping for that to change, or even single and planning to remain so. How are all of our relationships with each other in the church and with our non Christian neighbors, relationships where we choose to submit to the other for the sake of Christ? We who are weak, how are we saving our strength to oppose those things which most threaten our faith? And we who are strong, how are we learning the weakness of Christ such that we do not come under his judgment? for how we have treated the very least of these. In the same way, in the same way as citizens of Rome were called to submit to human authority, in the same way as Christian slaves were called to submit to non-Christian masters and as wives in a patriarchal society to their husbands and Christian husbands to their wives, in that same way, let us all who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, choose to submit for his sake to one another. And as we may to those who are not followers of Jesus as well, so that our faith may be emboldened and his name may be glorified. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you know how our hearts can be like stone, how our minds can be so set, so rigid and unmalleable. And yet we heard how you've called Christians before us to submit to what we think is unimaginable. And we confess that we don't like the idea of submitting to very much. Maybe we can wrap our minds around submitting to you, but certainly not to a government we can't agree with for your sake. Certainly not to an employer who makes our lives miserable for your sake. Certainly not to family and friends, brothers and sisters who should respect our will instead of their own. But you call us to be as you are, to choose to lower ourselves for the sake of others. And so we pray that you would give us imaginations for how we might do this in all of our relationships, certainly in the church, but also in meaningful ways that bring honor to you outside of the church as well. That the world may see our virtue, and without words, they might see the wisdom of your gospel. We pray this in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. We want to give you a couple of minutes to reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to you from this scripture and from this word. And so a couple of reflection questions for you to think about. The first is, what or who are you submitting to? And should you choose to submit in another way to better glorify God? And the second question is simply, do you ever insist that another person submit to your will? And how might Christ invite you to hold another posture? We'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect, to pray, to journal, and discuss these questions.